0: Welcome in to the Doug Lacy's Basin Systems Downtown Studios. Another edition of Sportsnet today is underway on this Thursday, October 5th. Logan Gordon along with you, with my outstanding producers, Cam Hughes and Taylor Dingman. A busy Thursday coming your way over the next two hours. We've got a lot to get to on the program today. We have Calgary Flames on-ice news and off-ice arena news to get to. A big day for the Calgary Flames. We'll get to that in just moments. The training camp roster has been officially cut down once again as we approach the Flames' final post-season, or preseason game excuse me, coming up on Friday in Vancouver. We'll look back on the loss last night in Edmonton. And tell you who is on their way to join the Calgary Wranglers at their training camp. Of course, it was a disastrous postseason once again for the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll have lots of Jays talk coming your way. Show Ali, our pal from Sportsnet 590. The fans going to join us to break it all down. John Schneider takes out Jose Barrios. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets caught napping at second base and the Blue Jays find themselves swept away in a wild card series once again. Not only will we have Shaw Ali on to talk uh, to talk about the Jays, but uh our Thursday regular Adnan Verk from MLB Network will help us break down the Jays series and all of the wild card series. They're all done. 4 for 4. Four sweeps. So if you're a Jays fan and you're looking for a slightly happier outlook today, you're not the only team that got swept. Every losing team in the in the wildcard series uh, finished up in two games. So maybe there's a little bit of consolation for Jason. It's probably not much, but it's all we've got. We'll also take a look at uh, Thursday night football. It kicks off week five of the NFL season. It's the Bears and the Washington Commanders. Quick reminder, we're at the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Cracked Foundation, blowing foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement Visit dlbasementsystems.com. The fan feedback line is open to you at 960-960. Shoot us a text. Let us know what's going on on this Thursday. If you want to chat about any of the topics that we're hitting on, 960-960. We, start, we would usually start with flashing back to Edmonton last night where the flames fall 7-2 to the Edmonton Oilers. But we've had significant news. On the arena front today we expected news from City Council and the Calgary Flames with some sort of an arena update today while uh, Calgary Mayor Jody Gondak opened up a press conference announcing that final agreements have been signed between the province of Alberta, the City of Calgary, the Calgary Flames, and the Calgary Stampede to make the event center now official. We will hear from Uh, The parties involved with this with more details coming up in just a few moments, but it's a very significant day. The arena project is finally a go. We've waited for a very long time for this to happen in the city of Calgary. And uh, today it is finally official and we can start talking about dates and times for openings and shovels in the ground. All of that um, will be provided in the update. Uh, John, uh, CSEC CEO John Bean was at the press conference today. I'll leave most of the dollars and cents uh, details to the to the press conference that we'll hear in just moments. It literally just finished up a few minutes before we took to the air today. Uh, but some of the main details I can share with you: construction is tentatively expected to begin in 2024, so a few months from now. Obviously, depending on weather and everything else. And the hope is that the arena will be ready for the 2026-2027 Calgary Flames season. This also includes a 35-year commitment to stay in Calgary for Murray Edwards and the Flames ownership. And as details are coming out, sounds like the new arena. We'll see somewhere between 18,000, 18,500. That currently sits at 19,289 at capacity, so perhaps a little bit smaller. But all those details... We'll be ironed out once we get into the final design phases, when shovels actually hit the ground. But an exciting day, no doubt, that a new arena is finally, finally on the horizon here in the city of Calgary. I won't let you wait any longer. If you missed it uh, earlier today, here is uh, Calgary Mayor Jody Gondek to kick off the press conference that includes Alberta Premier Daniel Smith with all of the details on today's arena news. Official agreement, again, between the city of Calgary, the province of Alberta, the Calgary Flames and the Calgary Stampede on uh, final details for a new arena and event center for the city of Calgary. We'll start off with Calgary Mayor Jody Gondak at the press conference earlier this afternoon.
1: Today, we're here to provide that update. Final agreements have now been signed between the city of Calgary, the government of Alberta, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, and Calgary Stampede. This project is moving forward. At this critical moment when we are seeing explosive population growth and increasing private sector investment and interest in our city, the confirmation that the event center project is proceeding to design and construction phases will generate strong investor confidence in our culture and entertainment district. This project will create better public gathering spaces, improved transportation networks, a downtown community rink, and an arena to drive events that spur hosting and tourism opportunities, along with creation of jobs in construction, retail and entertainment sectors. When the City of Calgary made the bold move in 2007 to bring East Village and the Rivers District back to life, we put $400 million toward infrastructure investments over time to ensure that private sector partners would see an opportunity to partner in this important revitalization project. Since then, we have attracted nearly $3 billion of planned development to date. Today's announcement will further build market confidence as we continue to complete the vision of the Rivers District. And we're fortunate that our placemaking experts at the Calgary Municipal Land Corporation will be participating to ensure that the public experience in the culture and entertainment district is one that is both welcoming and and inclusive for all Calgarians and visitors. It's important for a city like ours to invest in itself in two ways. First, as a local government, we must focus on the well being of Calgarians and invest in priorities like strong affordable housing initiatives and public transit networks. We have demonstrated our commitment to Calgarians' quality of life through housing and transit implementation plans that are backed by approved funding. Second, we must facilitate economic growth that drives private sector investment as well as job creation. Today's announcement achieves that goal and it furthers our ability to develop healthy and sustainable revenue streams that allow us to then serve the public now and well into the future. It's now my pleasure to introduce our partner in ensuring that Calgarians whom we serve together are benefiting from government investments. I'll invite the Premier of Alberta, the Honorable Danielle Smith to bring remarks on behalf of the government of Alberta, Premier.
2: Thanks so much for the introduction, Mayor Gondek, and I'm pleased to be joined here today with uh, Devin Dreschen, our Minister of Transportation and Economic Corridors, who I I, I said this is really more of a transportation project for us, and he'll explain a little bit more about the lion's share of the provincial commitment. Also, Rick McIver, Minister of Municipal Affairs, who just did a tremendous job helping to bring the parties back to the table and getting, I think, an agreement that's going to be amazing for Calgary, as well as we have our Minister of Tourism and Sport here, uh, Joseph Scow, as well as Minister of Arts, Culture, and Status of Women, Tanya Fur, and a few of our, uh, of our Our Calgary area MLAs. We've got Miles McDougall, Eric Bouchard, we have uh, Peter Singh. And I'm not sure if I'm missing anyone, but I'm delighted to see also other councillors here, Terry Wong, uh, Andre Chabot, and of course, Sonny Sharp, who's also done just an amazing job on bringing this to the finish line. Uh, in addition, this uh, I'm just delighted to be here to talk about the new Rivers District and Calgary Event Centre. So I want to thank the City of Calgary, Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, and the Calgary Stampede for their partnership in this historic revitalization project. In April, we came together to announce a memorandum of understanding that we see Alberta's government support the project with a major infrastructure investment of up to 330 million. And today, together again, we've reached a milestone that will bring us ever closer to beginning that exciting work and creating a Calgary legacy that will live on for generations. Alberta's investment in the revitalization of the Rivers District will support public amenities and infrastructure in the district. And that includes a new community rink, improvements to public spaces, and importantly, connections to the entertainment district. Of course, any investment in infrastructure is much more than the dollar figure attached to a project. It's more than a building and it's more than a road. It's an investment in making Alberta the best place to live and work and raise a family. It's the vibrancy of people strolling the Rivers District as they make their way to see a play or watch a concert or enjoy a meal at a venue right in their neighborhood is the pride that comes from living and working in a world-class city with a downtown core that is on par with every other major city in the world. And it's the excitement that comes with calling home a destination that tourists place on the top of their bucket list. We share these feelings with Calgarians and our investment builds on them because Calgary is a great city, but, it can be even better. This revitalization project builds on a momentum that's steadily picking up steam, energy and excitement are growing. As Calgarians anticipate, everything the renewed Rivers District and the new arena will bring to the city. And that includes jobs and business opportunities and economic benefits. And not just for the downtown core, but for the city of Calgary and for the province. It'll also bring a shot of energy to Calgary's culture and entertainment scene, along with a newfound pride in a city that already holds so many reasons to be proud. Thank you, and I'll turn it over to the next speaker.
3: Well, thank you so much, Premier and Mayor Gondek and elected officials and my good friend, Mike Ellis, our public safety minister here in the province. It's my pleasure to be here in downtown calgary for this exciting announcement as premier smith mentioned alberta's government is pleased to play a role in helping to revitalize the downtown calgary area with this important construction project and today i am pleased to share that the grant agreement between alberta's government and the city of calgary has been signed and executed now, Alberta's provincial government will fund $330 million to support infrastructure improvements that are vital to the development of the new Calgary Rivers District and Event Center. And as was the case in Edmonton with the ICE District, no provincial tax dollars will go towards the building of a new arena. Instead, up to $300 million will be used to support land purchases, a sea train connection, road and bridge construction surrounding the event center as well as the demolition of the Saddle Dome. Now, the demolition of the Saddle Dome will be a tough day for Albertans. It's an iconic building. It's seen by visitors flying into Calgary for the first time, and it is a reassuring sight for families flying home to Calgary. And it proudly highlights our Western heritage here in Alberta, and has hosted so many memorable events. And for me personally, it was where I watched my first NHL game. And as an Oilers fan, I did stand out in the sea of red, but I'll never forget watching the first Battle of Alberta in person live for the first time. But Alberta's government is, uh, with addition to this 300 million, will also cover up to 30 million or 50% of a new public community rink in this district. Alberta's government recognized the importance of being a key funding partner to help make this ambitious development possible. So with a total project cost of $1.22 billion, our investment will cover 27% of the total costs. And the City of Calgary will contribute $537 million. And the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation will contribute $356 million. And once complete, the River District is expected to create 1,500 permanent jobs, welcome 8,000 new residents to Calgary, and 3 million annual visitors to the city. And all of this means more economic growth and more jobs here in Alberta. So I'd like to thank again the City of Calgary, the Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation, and the Calgary Stampede for this vision and to move this major development forward. Once complete, Calgary will have the infrastructure it needs to support a world-class event center and a vibrant downtown. And with that, happy to turn things back to Mayor Gondek.
4: Well, thank you, Premier Smith, Minister Drushan and Mayor Gondek. This is truly an exciting day, and that's been a long time in the making. We're happy to have partners who all share a belief in the incredible potential that the Event Center block has for Calgary. Each partner has an important role to play in where we are today. Today, we have reached our most significant milestone to date towards realizing that potential. The City of Calgary and our partners for the projects of the Event Centre block have concluded our final agreements. We are fully committed to getting the design and construction underway. To support this project, the City concluded a request for proposal and has appointed CAA ICON as Development Manager for the project. Dialogue in partnership with the international firm, HOK, will be continuing as prime design consultants for the event center with Canna Construction, teamed with Mortensen, bringing their expertise as construction manager. We have an extremely capable and experienced team to help us deliver this important community infrastructure. The completion of the event center block will bring benefits for all Calgarians and fulfill two big pillars of the downtown strategy. One, encourage more people to live, work, learn downtown. And two, to encourage more people, visitors and Calgarians alike to experience downtown for leisure, attractions and events. That's what you need for a a thriving and and vibrant downtown. And the event center is pivotal to the strategy. This isn't just a hockey arena. It's downtown's only community rink and a hub of culture and entertainment that will bring business, art and people together. It will also bring significant new mobility and street access improvements that will be essential to supporting the new businesses, residents and visitors that this project will attract. In a time when affordability is top of mind for many Calgarians, this is an important investment in our local economy, our downtown recovery and our future. It will create over 4,700 full-time jobs during the construction phase with an additional 1,500 permanent jobs when the project is complete. We also estimate there will be over 8,000 new residents in this district with 4 million square feet of mixed-use development, providing much-needed housing as our population booms. Thank you to Premier Smith, Minister DuShan Minister McIver, and the Government of Alberta for the investment you announced today. I am thrilled that the province shares our commitment to ensuring that the Event Center Block benefits everyone in this city and Alberta, and your contribution will help ensure it will. Real- realizing the Event Center Block would not have been possible without Calgary Sports and Entertainment Corporation and the Calgary Stampede. Thank you for your continued support and contribution. This growth is monumental. So, what's next? The signed agreements give us the green light to begin design and construction. The city will be working with the development manager to finalize details and prepare for a design and permit applications. And we expect that construction will begin in 2024. In the coming months, Calgarians can expect more public activity related to the event center block. And weather permitting, work will begin to upgrade the underground utilities and ensure that the area is ready for construction of the event center block and surrounding amenities. As chair, I previously committed that we would be as transparent as possible throughout this project. The City will continue to share details on Calgary.ca, including the signed business agreements, and you you can expect to see those posted in the coming weeks. The event Centre Committee will also continue. We will provide continued transparency and oversight as this work progresses. Good governance will be essential to the success of this project. A final thank you, and this is a big thank you, and I try not to get emotional the calgary, city of calgary's project team and consultants who have worked tirelessly over the last several months to get us to this point your speed and efficiency has been no, nothing short of incredible and it does not go unnoticed so thank you
0: there you go the last voice you heard that of mayor jody gondek it's part of an announcement with the premier danielle smith and devin dreeshan on the uh, signed agreements between the city of calgary the province of Alberta, CSEC, and the Calgary Stampede on the new Rivers District, which includes a new arena and home for the Calgary Flames. Lots there. Lots to digest. I know uh, people have opinions on, on money and how it's spent by the province and the city. I'm personally very excited about this. It's about time. The Saddle Dome uh, is a great icon in this city, but it's it's we've been on this conversation for a while now because it's time. Uh, for the Flames to have and the city to have, you know, in my mind and in my opinion, uh, a world-class event center. And I'm very excited that, uh, as you heard from from Mayor Jordy Gondak, there, that construction is expected to begin as soon as 2024. A couple of texts at 960-960. Uh, this one says, finally, a new arena, speedy recovery to Pelchian Rune Dog. Uh, this one says, the Sound Dome is unique, has a design that is Calgary-oriented. I worry we're going to get a generic square arena that I'm sure will be nice and state of the art, but will be like all the other arenas and could be dropped in any other city and fit in and not be Calgary specific. Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing about the Saddledome and the one thing that I, I guess will always get brought up is its place in the in the skyline and as the, a, an icon in Calgary for sure. The design will always be there for that, but. You know, part of the reason that the Saddle Dome maybe didn't age as well as others is because of that design, right? And because of the stress on the roof and how everything was designed. So it's it's kind of a two-fold thing. I think uh yes, a lot of arenas nowadays have that similar look and, and feel to them. Uh, but they're really meant to be a host of things, right? It's supposed to be a, an arena for concerts and events and hockey games and all this sort of thing. So Sometimes utility is, is the best rather than uh, a specific design. But I'm, I am curious, too, to see what the designs finally look at. I know going back a couple of years ago, we saw some very early renderings and pictures to what it might look like. Maybe it's going to be completely different this time around. Hopefully there is a, a bit of Calgary flair to it. I think that would be uh, great as the Saddle Dome will, as part of this project, be demolished and we won't have it around anymore. So uh, that's the news of the day. We'll dive more into the Calgary Flames uh, performance last night in Edmonton, looking ahead to their game in Vancouver coming up just a little bit, but that was the big news today. If you missed it, uh, the mayor of Calgary, the premier of Alberta coming together to announce the agreement with CSEC and the Calgary stampede on the rivers district agreement and funding, which does include a new home for the Calgary Flames. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. The Toronto blue Jays are out of the postseason Once again, a two-game sweep of the hands of the Minnesota Twins. What went wrong and what's next for the Jays? Show Ali from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, joins us next here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.
3: Two out, runner at second, top of the ninth. Two nothing twins. The 0-2 to show. Swing and a miss. That will finish the ball game. And the Minnesota Twins start to pour out of the dugout, completing the shutout victory over the Blue Jays and sweeping Toronto two games straight in the best of three. For the first time since 1991. The Twins have clinched a series here in the Twin Cities. The Blue Jays are left stunned in disbelief many leaning on the top rail of the third base dugout watching the celebration of the Twins continue off the third base side of the mound.
0: That was Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Toronto Blue Jays fall 2-0 in game two and lose the series two games to none to the Minnesota Twins. And just like that, 162 game regular season and two in the playoffs. And we're left with a lot more questions than answers for this Toronto Blue Jays team after another early exit. Welcome back to Sportsnet. Today, it's Louie Gordon along with you. Help us break down or try to break down what we saw in this series against Minnesota. Very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcoming our pal from Sportsnet 590, the fan. It's Sho Ali joining us this afternoon. Show, how are you, pal? Good, Logan. How's it going? I'm doing all right, man. I'm still trying to process exactly what's happened in these last two games, but uh, I'm sure you're probably in the same boat as I am.
5: Yeah, boy, what a, what a weird ending to this season, right? And I guess... Maybe "weird" is the wrong word because a lot of the same things that you and I discussed over the last like six months are things we saw in the last two games. Like I, I was saying to the Blair and Barker last night during Jay's talk, but I, uh, I feel like the Jays effectively hit every single square on the bingo card from hell in <laughs> these last two games, Logan. Like literally everything we have talked about all year, like bad base running guys getting picked off lack of focus pitchers getting called too early balls not getting put down in play like loud outs yeah. everything that could have possibly happened poorly happened in the last couple of games
0: yeah i like how uh how jeff he was on with our morning show today and he said uh to the guys there's, there's lots of blame to go around on this one and that's kind of how i've i felt about it there's lots of individual situations that we'll get into no doubt but I just kind of left these last two games show going, yep, yeah, you know what? That was pretty much the exact same team that we saw through the first 162 games. So I guess I can't really be surprised that it went the way it did.
5: You no, know, it's true. It's true. I, I was probably more willing than most to give uh, the Jays, not not a pass. It's not the right word. It's, it's kind of like when you get to the playoffs, right, you play 162 games for essentially the right to roll the dice, the chance to roll the dice in a playoff slate where literally anything can happen, but the Jays chose for whatever reason <laughs> to not make that the case, because like we said, everything we talked about and everything that we've experienced as the media, as fans, etc., kind of reared its ugly head again in the playoffs. And I'm actually curious, Logan, what was your reaction when you saw Barrios come out of the game? Because my reaction, I was stunned when he came out of the game. And that's obviously one of the many talking points from game two, which they lose to nothing. But I'm, I'm genuinely curious to hear from as many people as possible, because I, I know what my reaction was. And I'm telling you, it wasn't, it wasn't very charitable.
0: Yeah. Uh, stun's a good word for it. Uh, confused. I, I saw the tweet from, uh, from BNS earlier on. I want to say it was late second inning when you say right. Kikuchi started to get warm and as you know, with the starters, it's always going to take a little bit longer for them to get ready. So I was sitting there thinking, okay, we're well, maybe an inning or two away from seeing say here, but this didn't make, I just couldn't process seeing what Jose was doing and, you know, needing to get say up at that point already. So yeah, stun's a good word for it. I'm still, uh, today I've read, I've tried to read as many different sides of it as I can because I know in the moment, you know, it, it, it always feels different, but this one still feels like it, it was just a, a bit of a, I don't know if reading the analytics wrong is the right way to put it, or just, you know, sometimes having to deviate from whatever plan you came in with because somebody was, was kind of exceeding expectations. I mean, stun's probably the best word for it, Joe.
5: Yeah. And you know what, you, you hit on something there that I think is where I have largely settled on. It's uh, There's no problem with going into an elimination game, with a set plan, like there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I think like you kind of have to utilize analytics. Cause I, don't, I, I feel like what, what's going to end up happening is all the anti-analytics people are going to be like, see, analytics suck. Like this is why you shouldn't follow the <laughs> nerds and the spreadsheets, right? <laughs> what when I, when I feel, really feel like the real conclusion is that analytics, when used along with the eye test and the field test, are a great resource. It's just that doesn't seem to be what happened yesterday, right? Like, the, it, coming into this game with a plan that if a lefty got up against Barrios and he wasn't doing well and he didn't look like he had it, which had happened in the last, even the last two months, right? That's something that happened. For sure. And, and you get Kikuchi up against a lefty. That makes sense. I don't, I don't think that is, there's anything inherently wrong with that idea. But the eye test, along with that plan, would have told literally anyone who was watching that game that his breaking stuff was just filthy. He looked as dominant through three innings as we have maybe ever seen him, at least this season. And he just looked so focused, former ballpark. He knows it very well. The twi- it almost felt like the Twins crowd wasn't sure whether they should get behind him because <laughs> he pitched them for six years, right, yeah. because they- they're very familiar with him, and then he gets yanked. It's just there has to be some kind of middle ground. It just leads me to believe that, along with a lot of other things that went wrong this season – like the usage of analytics by the front office, it was like deployed incorrectly in some way because, gosh, like John Schneider, I know people blame him for a lot of things. He did not look like he wanted to take out Barrios out of that game. But, you know, I guarantee you if he, did, if he had it taken Barrios out, John Schneider would not be the manager of the Blue Jays. And funnily enough, we're still talking about how John Schneider should probably be let go or made a change or the general manager should be gone or whatever. Like it's just the the cascading effect of all of this has, has become far more than I think anyone certainly in the blue Jays front office uh, anticipated.
0: Yeah. And I think it just, it sort of compounded for me post game when John was asked by multiple reporters, what, what did you, what did Jose need to show you to stay in the game? And there wasn't really an answer to that. And that to me is just the wrong approach by a number of people, because you're right. I don't think for a second that this was a, a John Schneider move that this was his entirely. And he was going to roll with it no matter what, this is obviously a a decision that comes from multiple different people within the organization. But the fact that he didn't have an answer to it means that I don't think anybody had the answer to that. That's just the plan that they were going to roll with when they got to that situation. And, you have to be more adaptable than that. I don't think sports is, is that black and white show that you can just enter it in with a plan and say, okay, as soon as this happens, we're going to this regardless of the circumstances. And I even heard Caitlin McGrath, our our good foul from the athletic who covers the Jays talk about if you wanted to make a case for, for John Schneider pulling Jose Brios. Okay. Maybe the walk, but it's not like it was even an egregious four pitch walk. He battled with a guy who, who batted really well in this series and you know, just lost it on on a four pitch on a on the on a fourth ball that was close. I didn't even have a problem with that. So it just and the message it sends, show to me, is probably the the biggest thing too. Is if you're the Twins, I don't know what you're thinking at that point when you see him. You're probably thinking this is great that they pulled Jose Barrios after he pitched like that through four innings.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it does beg the question of. Why would you sign Jose Barrios to some mega long contract extension with tons of cash over the next like seven years or whatever it is? I know there's an opt out after a couple of years, but you sign him to this ginormous deal. You entrust him with pitching in a a very important playoff elimination game only to yank him at 47 pitches it just like speaks to the process and i know everyone in sports like it's a cliche to say oh trust the process but it just trusting the process in this particular situation did not seem to go well it also for me when it comes to john schneider and, and his role in all of this i think i find it fascinating right because i guess like now and it seems to almost confirm what a lot of people thought over the course of the season like whatever you did or did not think of various Schneider pinch hitting decisions or or pushing the various buttons to get guys out of the bullpen or early hooks or late hooks for starters over the course of the entire season like whatever you thought think about it i feel like what we saw yesterday has basically shown us that John Schneider it, like we all thought or a lot, a lot of people thought it just kind of makes these moves perhaps not entirely with his own gut but because he is being instructed to on a little sheet that's given to him by the analytics department, by the front office or whatever. And if that's the case, then it just, it does beg the question of like, what's the point of, look, if, if if you were to fire him, let's say, let's say that's where this goes, right? You were to fire him and you install Don Mattingly as the next uh, manager, or they both are gone and you go and get like Gabe Kapler out there or Craig council from out there. Let's, let's say you do that. What, 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 what if, if Ross Atkins and the analytics department are the guys in charge, then like, it's it's just going to be the same thing, like yeah. no, you know what I mean? Like it's not you're not going to really get anything different. Like I, I, that's why I almost don't really put a lot of it on John Schneider. It just seems like a philosophical approach from the uh, from this front office, and frankly, I I'm willing to bet that it's it's very similar. For most teams in major league baseball like dusty baker can probably get away with it because he's dusty baker right like the, you know various managers can probably get away with it over the, the dodgers can probably get away with it and the braves can probably get away with it but there are very few teams that probably can in terms of their manager going out there and doing whatever the heck he wants can do that i i, I honestly do wonder if there are a lot of organizations that operate this way. And if that's the case, then, you know what, it kind of bums me out a little bit because I I certainly am a bit of a nerd myself, Logan. I do like the analytics and I do lean in that direction, but it does, I think, speak to where baseball is at. And it kind of, yeah, it kind of bums me out a little.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating for sure that it seemed like the autonomy of the the manager and the feel for the game is something that's slowly slipping away. And you're right, I, I don't think for a second that the Toronto Blue Jays are the only team that operates with them. It just so happens that they're in the spotlight right now for, yeah. for how that decision went. And uh, so despite all the things that we just <laughs> said, their show and all the the issues that people might have with that, I don't know that it even mattered because the team again, couldn't put up any offense and goodness, has that not been the story of, of this entire season? Kevin Gosman knows it as well as anybody, as far as not getting run support. So we, we can go through all of that, but at the end of the day, does it really even matter when this team scored one run in, in 18 innings? I don't know the answer to that.
5: Yeah, I guess. Like I guess in theory in 18 innings, you could in theory win one ball game with one run if you win one nothing, but you're not going there it is virtually impossible to win two ball games with one <laughs> with one run. So, you're right, the offense didn't do its job again. It was not a lot of very patient approaches against Pablo Lopez in game 1 and I, I will say, I think in both games, as good as Pablo Lopez is and as great as Sonny Gray is as well, there were very hittable pitches. Like There were a lot of pitches from Lopez, for example, in game one that were right down the middle, like fastballs right down the middle that Vladdy was laid on, Bo was laid on, Chapman, he, he was laid on it but perhaps didn't drive it quite as far. I mean, there was a moment in that ball game, Royce Lewis hits two home runs and Matt Chapman hits a ball farther than both of them. But just to the part of the park where it ends up being allowed out instead of a three-run jack, and then yesterday you have balls that are just getting out of play. Vladdy again, just missing a home run. Matt Chapman again. I mean, you probably would have had a, a three-run bases-clearing double, and it lands what inches to the left of the baseline. But yeah, it, like it doesn't matter. You can you can say luck all you want, but the truth is they they had struggled they had struggled to put together a lot of runs against elite pitchers all season long, and even even very good pitchers because Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray are probably in that area between elites and very, very good. And to the Blue Jays, it doesn't really seem like it matters because, yeah, once again, they they didn't score runs. And I guess we're at the point now, Logan, where the lineup is going to look very different next year. Like, I I would be surprised if maybe one of the free agents returned. That wouldn't be – I would be that surprised. But if none of them returned, uh, also – that wouldn't be too shocking. Like if Kiermaier's gone and Belt is gone and Merrifield is gone, I mean, this team is going to look a lot different. It might have a lot more call-ups like, with the likes of Elvis Martinez or Addison Barger. David Schneider probably going to play a bigger role. I'm sure Spencer Horwitz will as well. There might be a new couple of new signings and it might not be a sexy name like Cody Bellinger. It might end up being like a Heimer Candelario or something, mm-hmm. but like the offense, the offense almost needs to look different. And funnily enough, you talk about the, you know, the process and all the things you can talk about in the, in the front office, I do genuinely believe. And we saw today, Shai reporting that Luis Rivera retired. I mean, there are going to be changes organizationally. I, I would imagine when it comes to the hitting coaches and the offensive approach, because one like if one guy has a down year, you can kinda of be like, all right, that's guys that guy itself is an individual case. If two guys happen, yeah, okay, that happens too. But like for virtually everyone, like everyone not named Bobachette on this team had a poor year offensively by their various standards. And if that's the case, like that to me at least suggests that there's something else going on. Like I don't know if it's if it's a again a, a, how analytics are being used, or if the hitting coaches need to be changed, or the scouts, or the front office, like something needs to change in the process of getting batters ready to go into games, because far too many times this year, like it goes, it goes beyond just oh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez were shipped out, and Dalton Varsho was brought in. Like it just, it for me at least, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond personnel, and it goes more into approach. So I I gotta think. One of the many questions you talked about, l- waiting for everyone in the offseason, i got to think that's a big one for them.
0: Uh, the other moment I wanted to get your thoughts on, it, it seemed frustrating for most that at, at maybe the most crucial time for the Jays to potentially put any sort of offense on the board, your best hitters on the ma- at the plate, and Vladdy gets caught off at second. I know it's a, a loud building show. I know that there's lots that go on there, but if that wasn't, uh, I mean, the, I believe they were one of the most picked off teams on the bases on the season uh, in the entire major league, but they also weren't a team that wanted to play small ball and manufacture runs that way. Uh, What was going through your mind when Vladdy got picked off at second base there with Bo at the plate?
5: Oh, that was so rough, right? I mean, mainly because like if it had happened to anyone else, I mean, it was still a bad moment. Don't get me wrong. If Bo Bichette's at the plate and literally anyone's on base, and you're down by two runs, then yeah, it's like it doesn't really matter who it is, but it, it, it matters more in this particular case because it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and because you know he's the he's the the focal point of a lot of certainly positive things, but a lot of negative criticism as well, and a lot of it has been deserved at times, right? Like it, maybe he was trying to be aggressive, perhaps, and I do think it was a great combo play by Sonny Gray and Carlos Correa, but at the same time, like it just you can't let that kind of lack of focus. Bite you in such critical moments like never really in, at no moment can you let it bite you don't get me wrong but more so in these kinds of moments and I don't know I just it feels like all year there's been some kind of bugaboo with some some facet of the team and certainly the base running and decision making by a lot of guys including Vladdy. Have, uh, have really been unfortunate to watch this year. Yeah, it's just, it's something he obviously doesn't have to work on. Obviously, Vladdy's still a very young player, but I, I don't blame fans for being mad with him because it's certainly not the first time we've ever seen him do that. I don't even feel like it's like the fifth time we've ever really seen him do that. It's happened so many times that I don't blame people for being upset, but I mean, for better or for worse, Vladdy is going to be on this team next year. I would tend to generally think better because a guy who hits almost 30 home runs and almost a hundred RBI, even if that is considered, you know, not so great for someone who has the name Guerrero jr. But, uh, you know, at the same time, he's going to be on this team going forward. And you hope he cleans it up in the off season. I personally hope that if there's some changes, even if it's not John Schneider who's being changed, but the, the background coaches, the hitting coaches, et cetera, I hope that changes for Vladdy because, boy, he could use a, yeah, he could use a, a reset in 2024.
0: Well, let's dive into that. Cause I think that's where a lot of people's minds went to today was what changes. We've talked all year about the free agents and, and Matt Chapman, you went through a, a list of the other guys show. What would you like to see? What do you think this team needs to see happen to, to get where this core is going to go? Because I think that's the question right now is what, what can you do to support this core to get them going forward? Because, Right now, they're the only ones that we know are going to be here for the foreseeable future. Where, where do you come down on what you'd like to see this team's approach be to the offseason?
5: I mean, you got to think that an offensive shift in some way, shape, or form has got to be the priority, right? Because like, let, let's just say the general manager and the, the manager stay intact. Let's just assume for the sake of this conversation that they're all back, Shapiro, Atkins and Schneider. They're all coming back in 2024 for the sake of this conversation. So if that's the case, then largely what needs to change certainly are the hitting coaches and the hitting analysts or whatever you want to call them. Cause there are a lot of them. It's not just one guy. It's like five or six guys. Right. So I think that that largely has to change and the personnel is going to have to change. Right. I mean, the, uh, even if I don't think it came down to solely Lourdes and Teoscar being shipped out, they, their absences did have an effect. I think in large part, for example, and I know Blair said this many times, for example, but like the fact that Vladdy doesn't have a lot of protection in the lineup and even the best hitters get protections. Like certainly Jose Bautista is a guy who hit like 50 plus home runs, but even Jose Bautista got protection from at times from guys like Edwin and Colby Rasmus and so on. Right. So I I would love to see that part of the lineup get addressed. And we already kind of feel like the pitching and defense is where it needs to be. And if you want to bring back Kiermaier, That's fine with me. So be it. I know he said he wants to play on grass and obviously it's turf at the Rogers center, but still, if you want, he seems to like it in Toronto. So if you want to bring it back to continue the defense being bolstered, I think that's totally fine. But I don't know, man, I just, I, the offense needs to get a boost and I would love for them to go out and sign like Shohei Otani, or I would love for them to go (laughs) and sign Cody Bellinger. Right. But I, I I don't think that's going to happen. But even if you do go out and get a Hunter Renfro or you you have a reunion with Teoscar or it's Candelario, like I mentioned, even some of those second tier free agents could vastly improve the offensive production of this lineup. And I just it, like anything they do to improve the offense would be an improvement at this point. Uh, as far as
0: the, that free agent list, is there anybody that, that, stands out to you as hey i need to to make a, a case for this guy to stay was there anybody that you would could live with you wouldn't want to live without if you were ross atkins or mark shapiro looking at that list of free agents
5: you know the funny thing is, is it's it's not a super sexy list of free agents no say that it's like it's not great like i think legitimately i think after shohei and shohei's almost like in a tier of his own right he's a he's our own special case so you take him out of the equation for the second Matt Chapman is probably like the next best free agent, and I, I would be surprised if he came back. My, my, honestly, my my greatest fear is that Matt Chapman is going to go out and bulk up in the offseason, sign with the Yankees, and all those loud outs to the wall at the Rogers Center are going to suddenly be home runs when he returns for thir- at third base for the Yankees. That's like my greatest fear, Logan. But <laughs> beyond, beyond beyond Matt Chapman, I I think I, I mentioned Hunter Renfro. He was someone I wanted the Jays to go out and grab from the angels at the deadline. And that obviously didn't happen. I would love to see Hunter Renfro out there. I think he could be a, a great sneaky addition in the outfield. He can play multiple outfield spots. He has a pretty good bat as well. He got DFA'd. This is true this off season. But he also got DFA'd by some organizations that I think we're trying to lose. So I'm not not super surprising in, in, by me. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I think Hunter Renfro might be an unsexy but fun pick if you want to improve the uh, offense in the off season.
0: Show I've so appreciated this chat, man. These chats we've had all season long, man. I super appreciate you taking the time to join us out here. Uh, enjoy some time off from the Jays, as I, I think some of us will enjoy maybe not going through the roller coaster ride it's been this year. But uh, I know once there's some Jays news or something, we'll be ringing your phone again, pal.
5: Well, Logan, uh, baseball is over just in time for another agonizing season by the Toronto Maple Leafs, right?
0: So, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Exactly. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Take care, hey. See you, Logan. Thank you, Ali joining us from Sportsnet 590, the Fan in Toronto, breaking down another heartbreaking end to a Toronto Blue Jays season and. Uh, yes, as you can tell, it's been a big story. The text line uh, with plenty of reaction to that chat with Ali. Uh, here's some of them quickly at 960-960. Uh, this one says, you're trying to figure out what happened to the Blue Jays. It's easy. They're losers. They lost. They're not as good as they think they are. Mistakes, mistakes from everyone. Uh, this one going back to the conversation about Jose Barrios staying in uh, and being taken out for Yusei Kikuchi. Uh, had they left him in, Barrios, and did let in a couple runs from the lefties. Everyone would have said the numbers said that was the risk. It was the wrong decision to leave him in. That's yeah, kind of win one, lose one there. If you're there, Kerry says, quick question. Why isn't Maddingley's next on the line uh, on the block after such a lackluster offensive year? I I think everybody in that coaching staff and the managerial staff needs to be looked at personally. The approach all season felt off for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and this one here, Vladdy needs to pay attention to, when running the base there, there was no excuse, none for Vladdy being caught there. You're blocked at third by a runner. You, you don't need to take an extra lead off. You're already having trouble hearing your coaches take a minimal lead. And I mean, just say, well, just be paying attention. You you can't be caught in that spot with two runners in scoring position and bow at the plate. It's a mental error. And it's something that's plagued Vladdy. It's something that's plagued this Jays team at the best of times. Uh, but that one, for sure, uh, there were no analytics. There was no extra stats that told you, Vlad, you need to take an extra uh, lead on that one. That was just about as frustrating as it could get for the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, the Jays aren't the only ones that had their playoffs come to an end in two games. As a matter of fact, every wildcard series, AL and NL, is already finished up. So we've got the ALDS and the NLDS ready to go. Let's check in with our pal Adnan Verk from MLB Network, see how he's feeling about the Jays' season coming to an end and what he's excited to see as the MLB postseason rolls on. He'll kick off Hour 2 of Sportsnet today. It's next. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.